Jamesy the Band. Find their music at jamesytheband.bandcamp.com. to The Fool's Journey. Ooh, beautiful music. Shout out to my cousin, Cole Hen, singer-songwriter, with the band Jamesy. Shadows never last. Welcome to the broadcast. Time to take off the mask. Hello. I'm Charles. My name is Michael. And you're listening to The Fool's Journey. So, Michael, how you been? I'm doing pretty good. A little tired, but uh, better than usual. How about you, Charles? I'm doing well. Uh, it's been fun time reminiscing uh, over the past. Mm. Um, we were just uh, talking about Barcelona, my adventures in Barcelona. Oh, yeah. So. No, I was really fascinated by Barcelona because you, I never, it was never really on my radar um, for some reason, but you traveled across Europe and then you found Barcelona as your home for two years. Uh, would you like to tell me why uh, Barcelona specifically out of everywhere you've kind of traveled to? It was six months, not mm-hmm. two years, oh. that I made it my home. Uh, oh, sorry, the, you were in Europe for two years. My I bad. was in Europe for ten, for 10 months, actually. Ah, I missed. Not two years, yeah. My bad. My but that's okay. I just don't want to mislead anybody. Um, so the way it all happened was... It's kind of an interesting story. I was at uh, my cousin's party. It was her 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. And her older brother, um, who was, uh, so I was older than her. I was 22. Her older brother was, I think, 23. And he had just finished his first round of university. Mm-hmm. And he was going to do a year off vacation, starting at our mutual cousin's uh, smoked salmon company in Scotland. So we went to Scotland, and he had this plan that he was going to go from Scotland uh, to um, 
to the French Alps because he was a skier, long lifelong skier. Okay. And um, and he wanted to go ski the Alps, and he got himself a job from Scotland through the internet to get a, a ski instructor job or something like that. He worked for a ski resort, mm-hmm. and and he offered that I could go to uh, France with him and ski. But I wasn't, I could ski, but I wasn't as advanced as him. And I could tell he was really into skiing, and it was going to be a hardcore skiing adventure. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't into it. And we had. We had already had two months of adventure with each other. With each other, uh, my goal was to go to Spain, hmm. and I wanted to learn Spanish because I grew up around Italians, and I'm also in a French. I'm I'm also Canadian, so we mm-hmm. speak French in Canada as well. And I did my you know little assessment of languages and realized that if I wanted to learn the Romance languages. Spanish would be the most centralized version of that. Mm-hmm. And I could use that to kind of bounce into other languages, which I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because I was greatly intrigued by Latina women and lat- Latin music. Mm-hmm. I love salsa dancing, bachata, merengue, uh, cumbia. I love it all. I love the Latin culture too. I'm very intrigued by Latin culture. I ended up marrying into the Latin culture. Um, but I was into Caribbean culture, Latin culture, stuff like that. So I wanted to learn Spanish and just before deciding exactly where to go, my plan wasn't solidified. I I was in Scotland at my family's residence and, um, getting ready to, to go to Spain. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking with my cousin's cousin who Mm -hmm. was, uh, who lived in England and and he had been to Spain before, and I said, where should I go? i got to go to a big city mm-hmm. because I'm planning on staying in a hostel with the small amount of money I have for the first you know, oh, yeah. little while, and then I need to get a job and a place to stay. And he said, uh, and I said, so it's either Madrid or Barcelona. And he said, well, if those are your two choices, mm-hmm. um, I would choose Barcelona all the way. He said Madrid is more of the capital city. It's more of a dry city. The cultural, the liveliness of the city is more dry. Mm-hmm. He said Barcelona is on the coast. It's got a lot of art and partying. Mm-hmm. And he said you'll have a much better adventure over there. If you want an adventure while mm-hmm. you learn Spanish, go to Barcelona. So that's why I chose Barcelona. And I was, uh, I was very pleased. Uh, I arrived there with... Um, about 3,000 British pounds mm-hmm. uh, that I had earned in the two months working in the smoked salmon uh, business. And, um, and, uh, and I first went to an Irish pub. That was my strategy. I said, I don't speak the language. I better go to an Irish pub mm-hmm. and find English speakers. And, and uh, an Irishman mm-hmm. literally uh, told me, where I could go to find a billboard with uh, rooms for rent. Okay. And so I went to that place. I found a billboard with rooms to rent. Not only did, did that, I met my future landlord right then and there. He was mm. posting a new ad. So uh, it was 200 euros a month for my room. Um, and, uh, and I remember being, for the first night, I couldn't find a room. I was at, at the Irish pub. The second night, I had a room. 
Mm. But I was in a hostel, and I called my dad, and I just landed into a country. I didn't speak the language. Yeah. I, uh, I did such a courageous, like, maybe stupid also, mm. uh, leap of faith, just jumping into a country like that. And I had a hostel to stay at, and, uh, and there are parts of Barcelona which are quite seedy looking. What do you mean seedy? Uh, well, Barcelona is an ancient city, uh, so a medieval city in, mm -hmm. in its core, and uh, there's a lot of buildings like you can't fit cars in, so there's a lot okay. of alleys. There are actual roads and stuff, or walkways, but they're alleys. Like, okay. Because there's, there's five or six story or eight mm. story buildings on either side, blocking yeah. light and stuff, and yet, and there's balconies and stuff, and there's a lot of I've heard this sightseeing in Barcelona is just wonderful. That's the, one of the best. It's completely wonderful, but there mm. are two uh, part. There are three parts of the town that are that are kind of impoverished looking. Okay. And two of which are where are basically ghettos for the the immigrants, mainly from northern Africa and some from Romania. Mm -hmm. And those are pretty scary places to to visit. Okay. Uh, but but outside of that. Um, there was uh, uh, Gaudi was mm -hmm. um, was an architect, and he uh, was part of the Catalan Surrealist movement, mm -hmm. uh, and and that Barcelona was in Catalan, so there's lots of Surrealist uh, art and architecture throughout the city. Mm -hmm. There's the medieval architecture throughout the city. There's two castles within the city, one on the coast on a mountain. And one inland on another mountain. Um, so there's two mountains in the city. Mm -hmm. I used to walk to the mountain coast and just walk up on the mountain and find a spot to sit on the side of the mountain. And, mm -hmm. and you could just sit and look at the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, you know, you're, you're very close to the Straits of Gibraltar. Mm -hmm. You, you kind of can feel the, that, that this water... Yeah. Uh, has been used as an ancient port for Did you find that the architecture of the mountain and the roads, or was just the architecture of Barcelona was shaped by the mountain itself, by just the symmetry with the ocean and the, the top of the mountain? Did you find any correlation with that, or was that a different hill? Well, um, okay, so basically, um, I forget the mountain names, but the mountain that's more inland mm -hmm. is basically directly center okay. to the city. So if you draw a line, they have a big monument statue to Christopher Columbus because he sailed from Barcelona to the Americas. Mm -hmm. So they have a statue at the port uh, there, and from there they have the street called Las Ramblas. Okay. And Las Ramblas is like the main touristic strip. That's also cool sightseeing because on Las Ramblas you have um, uh, street performers. Okay. And I think they have permitted about 40 street performers per day. And uh, they have everything from an old lady that walks around completely crippled, which would take some real physical strength, or she's really disabled, but I don't think she is. Mm -hmm. They have other people that uh, get all lathered up in like metallic paint and and stand as statues. Oh wow! And and you know only change their pose every five minutes or ten minutes or so. And people give them money and, and stuff. They have street performers that sing songs mm. and stuff. It's really beautiful, the art and culture there. And then you continue from Las Ramblas and you pretty much go straight. And you hit Sagrada de Familia, which is Gaudi's uh, chapel. 
and that means the sacred of the family, mm-hmm. um, um, the sacred family temple, and it and that is such an elaborate, surrealist, gothic chapel that in a hundred years of its construction, it has yet to be completed. When is it going to be completed? Because I'm pretty sure it has a, like, maybe 2025 uh, uh, completion date? I don't know. Um, the locals believe never. Never. Wow, really? And uh, the completion date has always been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back forever, <laughs> so I don't think they're... I don't think I would be willing to uh, even repeat a said completion date because at this point, it's been a hundred years. It's, wow. Every built, every brick or stone is a work of art. Oh yeah. So that would take years. Whoever's years. listening right now, take a quick second just to Google it. It's phenomenal. It honestly. is a phenomenal structure. And from Sagrada de Familia, mm-hmm. there's uh, Calle Gaudi, which is Street Gaudi, okay. and that is a decorated in his style uh, of architecture street. The entire mm-hmm. street is his architecture which leads you up to the base of the mountain where that ah. top capital. I think the mountain is called Tibidago. That's what I was thinking about. I thought Not it was at the coast for some reason. And that mountain there has Park Guell. Mm-hmm. And Park Guell is Gaudi's designed park. It's so cool. It's so mm-hmm. surreal. He has these big rock formations that he sculpted in the park. Mm-hmm. There's this... Uh, Vista point where you overlook the whole city and you look down Calle Gaudi at Sagrada de Familia under construction and further to Las Ramblas and the coast. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other mountain with the other castle uh, to, the, uh, to the east. Okay. To the southeast of there. And, uh, and then you have the prairies, like uh, flatlands, where all the farm fields are around Barcelona. Okay. All to your north and south or whatever. So how much was uh, his part in actually designing so, the layout of all that? He designed Park Guell. Okay. He designed Sagrada de Familia. I believe he designed Calle Gaudi. Mm-hmm. He may not have because that was mainly just like the sidewalk and the street lamps and stuff were different. Okay. But he privately commissioned a whole bunch of buildings in Barcelona mm-hmm. and... Spain, the Spanish in general, love to beautify things. Mm-hmm. So everything's pretty much beautified. And Gaudi is the star of Barcelona, but there's so much beauty there. And, uh, and yeah, there's lots of... Barcelona was a real cool, cool and fun place to be. Mm-hmm. You said you had a roommate at the time uh, who was Polish, right? Was it a... I did. I had a Polish friend and roommate. His name was Matthias. Mm-hmm. In Poland, he was known as Mach. But in Barcelona, he changed it to Matias. Mm-hmm. He, more than I, experienced uh, racism, oh, wow. uh, uh, segregation from the Spanish society because they had a lot of uh, Eastern European immigrants or migrant workers, and uh, migrant workers are usually treated as second class. Mm-hmm. So he often lied and said he was from Holland. Wow. Because he had blonde hair and green eyes. <laughs> so, and he would lie because he was a poon hound. He just wanted to have lots of sex and, uh, with women. And, and I don't know. He would, he, would definitely, he would definitely 
compromise his morals and ethics to get the job done. He he told me that he preferred to go to approach and converse and try to get into the pants of uh, of uglier women. Oh wow! Wait, because why? They, because he's like, if you go to the prettiest girl in the room all the time, Charles, you have to realize that she's she's just been approached by every guy in the room that wants that's single. Mm-hmm. If you go to the ugliest girl in the room, she's been neglected probably for years of attention. So it's so much easier. She's so much more, for her perspective, is more welcoming to this. Yeah. She's at a club. She wants to maybe find a mate. Mm-hmm. She's doing the mating ritual, one of the first steps going to dance of a mating ritual. That's kind of like an ancient human mating ritual, mm-hmm. as I understand it. So did he not have confidence in his abilities and self? Is that why he just wanted... Just, or was he just a very horny guy? Was that it? I believe there were two things happening, or three. He was a horny guy that, yes, lacked uh, a certain self-esteem. I think he was aiming for quantity, not quality, mm. because I think that he was heartbroken. He must have really screwed something up, is, is my understanding, with, uh, with uh, the love of his life back in Poland. Oh, wow. Which is why he wasn't living in Poland anymore. So that's a sad aspect of it. And yeah, maybe he was a sex addict as well. Our landlord, I should divel- divulge, was a, uh, a true nymphomaniac, mm-hmm. gay. Um, he claimed he was bisexual because he could get hard enough to fuck a woman, but he was totally into men, younger men. He tried to... He actually uh, tried to block me from getting a job to try to convince me to get a job in prostitution or some sort of dependency, financial dependency on him so he could misuse, so he could get How long into sex with me. He barred me from a job for a month and a half before I fucking realized because I heard heard him take a call Mm -hmm. for a resume I set out. And because I didn't speak Spanish, he was taking my calls for me. Mm-hmm. And I heard him go out on the balcony, and I understood enough Spanish at that point to realize he was fucking me over and saying that I couldn't, I couldn't work. Mm-hmm. When I could, I was doing nothing. And eventually my roommate got me a job because I told my roommate what I knew was happening. And he, he had seen it go down a few times with some other guys and stuff. So this guy was a real nymphomaniac, meaning he would lie and act mm-hmm. and cheat and steal for sex. He even conf- confessed to me to raping men by drugging them over their mouth while they were asleep and then fucking them or sucking their dick. And then not, and that was it. And, and How old was he at the time? He was, I think, in his 40s. He was from Brazil. He was from Sao Paulo, Brazil. His name was Ronaldo. And he had a fucking big dick that he didn't mind showing. Mm-hmm. Actually, here's a little anthropological factoid slash theory. Mm-hmm. It was told to me by Ronaldo that gay men play with their dicks more growing up. Hmm. This is his. This is a sick person. He has nymphomania. He's yeah. like a real sick person. He was a prostitute too. He would he would turn tricks. Mm-hmm. He would tell me and my roommate we had to go. Eventually. We protested him enough that he put us in another apartment, but he still invaded our privacy. Um, 
that, so after basically I got a job, we went to the other apartment, me and Matthias, and we mm -hmm. always had a rotating third roommate. Um, Did that ever make you paranoid at all? Just of him, of what he, everything he's done and what he's told you, of what his habits and just yes. overall motif kind of? There was, there was one, yeah, yeah, there was, uh, I, there was, I used to jog, mm -hmm. and one of my jogs my ass really hurt, mm -hmm. okay? That day, for two days, I was really groggy, as mm -hmm. if I had been drugged. And that prompted me to wonder whether I had been drugged and raped in my sleep mm. by this guy that confessed that he would do that to guys. And I didn't have a lock on my door for my bedroom, but I did booby trap the door so I wouldn't know if anybody opened it. Mm -hmm. When I woke up, it had been opened. But I booby-trapped it ever since, and that was a lot. He noticed the booby-trap. He knew I was onto him, and he never did it again. So I believe I was raped, in all honesty. I don't have the memory of being raped, mm -hmm. thank God, because that would be pretty tormenting. And I was able to live in quite a bit of denial over that for years, but I'm ready with the Me Too movement to say, yeah, Me Too. Yeah. And also, I, I say that with vulnerability and confidence and courage because I say it because I feel like the Me Too movement has turned on itself in the fact that it's lost its integrity and started started being a little bit too quick to judge mm -hmm. men in their actions. There's rape and there's sexual harassment um, but then there's also machismo which many women mm -hmm. have reported to me in all honesty that they appreciate machismo when it's when it's the time and place like you have to read the room and read you the have moment. to read the moment and unfortunately men are bad at reading the moment so mm -hmm. much so far inferior to women in emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. and that's what we were talking about in that other podcast in, in our last podcast about toxic masculinity mm -hmm. so toxic toxic masculinity i mean we're not raising our men right so why are we condemning them yeah. what the fuck Let's, and, 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 you know, we go through sexual harassment, too. Mm -hmm. I was, I also have been raped twice by females. Holy shit. I've been raped once by a male and twice by females. So, hmm, the, the statistics mm -hmm. in my experience are that females are more predatory than males. But mm -hmm. I don't believe that to be a fact. I'm just saying we can't go around condemning males because yeah. rape is part of nature. Mm -hmm. My chickens, my roosters rape the hens. Mm -hmm. At least it appears to be non-consensual, yeah. right? So, but as an intellectual beings, we need to uh, resist that nature just because the the emotional yes. impact and emotional damage it can do to another human being it damages their ability to uh, interact and feel emotions, how they perceive sexual emotions for the rest of their life. Especially if it's young, it happens to someone who is young, they feel some of the people feel afraid to have kids. Because they feel that yeah. they, they'll be that way. They'll be the same way that they experienced when they were a kid. They were brought up that way, so they thought that yeah, that's my, what my, they're like. My mother apparently was also molested as a child by her piano teacher. Mm. And like everybody just wanted to deny it, so she didn't really get to deal with it. And, and there were times where she um, made me feel uncomfortable and teased me about sexuality about sexuality and there, there were times where I could probably 
describe as abuse by today's standards uh, from my mm. mom with, uh, with sexuality. Um, but I think that sexuality is so intimate and so personal. We really have to reserve judgment in so many areas. Mm-hmm. And like sexual harassment, it, like I know of a story where uh, uh, a guy I know, a young, young man, mm-hmm. a little bit older than you, but pretty inexperienced with, with dating. Okay. Although he did have an older woman throw himself at, at him at his job as a bartender. Okay. But he was also working a second job as a as a just a maintenance role in a yoga studio oh, that he okay. that he frequented. And he was about to go on a on a long trip uh out west to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And uh he had a crush on one of the yoga teachers. And he uh he texted her, "Hey, before I leave, would you do you want to have sex? Yeah. So I have to say that was kind of inappropriate behavior and and I'm sure he had his own reasons for believing mm-hmm. that that was appropriate enough. Yeah. Because I've been the I've been the boy or the man questioning is she into me? Should I say so? Did he just say that or there was no That's other That's all he texted. Okay. And she said no and he said okay. Mm-hmm. And then he went to work on his next shift. Yeah. And the same girl was there with the manager who was a uh he described her as being an angry disgruntled lesbian woman. Okay. And the and the owners were a lesbian couple. I know them. They're the part owners with with the other partner that of the studio I I go to. Mm-hmm. And they're nice people, but um you know, maybe Maybe in the lesbian community there is a uh, there is a sub cultural trait, social trait to kind of be a little angry at men. Maybe mm. there's a jealousy. I don't know. I don't. I'm I'm not there. I'm not them. But he described it as he got he basically got railroaded. He showed him to work, and he's they're mm. like, why are why are you here? He said, well, I'm here for my shift. He's like, well, you sexually harassed Taylor. Uh, he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're fired. That was sexual harassment. That's it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And so, I think I told you this story before. You did. And, and I didn't know it was yoga, though. Was it yoga? It was a yoga studio. Okay. And, and he's like, you know, he felt he 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 expressed to me that he went through like a period of uh, of of dealing with like a trauma almost because. He didn't see it as sexual harassment. He saw it as, as maybe being a little bit too forward with yeah. his communication, maybe you know. But he also felt like he was in an environment where people accepted that about him. Mm-hmm. And and he and he he even mentioned like if he really wanted to waste the energy on it, he had a lawsuit against them yeah. because that's wrongful dismissal. If they dismissed him for inappropriate actions or something like that, that would be better. Mm-hmm. But calling it sexual harassment when it was only that, that's... That's uh, not progress. That's, that's not progress. That's degress. And, and, and you know what? I want to say that I met this girl later. She instructed one of... She seems very sweet mm-hmm. and very vulnerable. And maybe she did feel embarrassed by the yeah. question. And maybe she did. And, and there are women out there that say, well, they should never... Uh, she should never have to hear the question. 
And, you know, my mom will say that to me uh, in her feminist uh, uh, passion. And, and I'll say to her, you know, like, but what about all the other times when society relies on the man and puts all this pressure on the man and anxiety on the boy and the man to make the first move? And calling the female a slut when she makes the first move. So we're basically conditioning the females of society and the and their expression of passion and love and mating to uh, be be um, to play the waiting game to mm. to be more passive, and they want and they're training us to be more aggressive. And a simple act like that now is being called sexual harassment. Yeah. So I think if she said no. And he asked again, then yes, sexual that's harassment. sexual harassment. 100%. But if he only asked once, it's inappropriate question at mm. worst. At worst, that's all it is. Yeah. And I, I really believe that, and, and what you said when I told you the story the first time is, and it stuck in my mind, is you said that that just sucks because it takes the power away and the importance away from the real sexual harassment that mm-hmm. does exist. And real sexual harassment does exist. And I can be vulnerable in admitting that as a young man, knowing that a girl liked me, mm-hmm. I believe that gave me permission to harass her into playing with me in a sexual way. Yeah. And even into possibly groping her without express consent because I understood it under my social context to be implied consent. Mm-hmm. because there was the whole veil of Catholic virginity and this and that. Yeah. And so girls were, they, they would, exp- they would com- be very confusing in that, in that era. I don't know about today's era, but in that era it would be very confusing because you wouldn't know whether she was being forward with you mm-hmm. or whether she was being, uh, you know, like, and they would play this cat and mouse, like, uh, teasing game and some girls actually spoke about it as a fun event to tease a, to tease another boy or, or man mm-hmm. sexually like I'm going to give you some I'm not going to give you some and and that that A created a resentment with men and boys and and an attitude like oh they all want it even though they say they don't mm-hmm. I heard that a million times growing up yeah they all want it even, they pretend they don't want it but they love it they love it they love it rough, and, and you know, I never really believed that because I could see it wasn't totally true, but I could also see that there was times when women appreciated male masculine aggressiveness, kind aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think there's many movies that have that passionate kiss where the woman is grabbed by the man and he pulls her into her. Well, it's not for everyone, though. That's it's just not like- for everybody, and it's and it's... Well, I think it's, I think it's, we're all wired to feel like nice when someone takes control and shows that you're safe in their arms. Mm. Um, but I think that it got corrupted into this whole S and M kind of shit where it's like, yeah, the harder we could slap her ass mm. or I've even heard something so gross, such great gross descriptions like donkey punches where you're having sex with a girl from behind. And you grab her so she can't get away, and you punch her in the ribs. Whoa! And I was like, "What the f- what the hell does that accomplish?" Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually asked that to a guy who described that. I'm like, "Do you actually do that?" 
are you just joking around? Because, I, I, like, what the fuck is that? And he told me, well, then they, they move around mm-hmm. so fun. And, and, like, he described it as it was fun. So there was all these, like, weird ideals, weird social standards, weird context that yeah. really confused the fuck out of both males and females. Oh, for sure. During the 90s and probably the early 2000s when I was having sex. But I don't think I ever... I know I never raped mm-hmm. anybody. Yeah. I do know I've told girls no, and they're able to get me erect and jump on me mm-hmm. uh, with oral. And that is... There is a point, and, you know, I say this to my wife, and she laughs at me, like, it's impossible to rape a man. And what I'd like women to understand is there is a biological response that's, that's I believe, hormonal, and it's... Uh, and, and there has been studies on this thing, there's yeah. a point of no return for men where we're not in control anymore and that point is usually like I could push the, the, the woman's head away from my mouth away, her mouth away from my penis mm-hmm. but once it makes contact with my penis it's just it's, I'm like oh fine it, you know and it's just kind of like it's a weird weakness to describe yeah. Because men are not comfortable or taught to be comfortable with their own weaknesses and mm-hmm. vulnerabilities. And physically, sexually, we, we can be raped. And, and we lose control at a certain point of arousal. We kind of lose a physical control where we can become morally compromised. And that's been a tactic of spies in the past. This, mm-hmm. is a, this has brought nations down. This, this, this is a real thing. And, uh, I mean... I was yeah. happy to express all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this uh, was a really uh, important discussion we had today. I'm yeah, really, I think so. It, I'm really happy you shared with this with everyone today. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, do you want to wrap this up or do you want to have uh, any, any closing uh, remarks? Any closing uh, questions or um, what do you think? I think we're uh, pretty good for now. I'm, uh, I don't have too much mm-hmm. to add so far, but uh, I would love to add maybe next episode a little bit more in depth. I'm glad sure. you really went in on that topic because as it is a very uh i think underrepresented topic as a whole just because there is a giant me too movement for the women but there's very few advocates for men for the rape and sexual harassment that we some did not we but some deal with and feel afraid to talk about purely because they'll be regarded as less manly or less of just not strong and just showed weakness in some sort of form. So I'm really glad that you showed that that's, that's not the case. It's purely courage in that moment, not weakness. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree, and uh, I'm glad to have evolved past those experiences. Um, I feel like I should also add to the, to the history on the topic, just to get it on record, is mm. that uh, I also had older women, at least two in my neighborhood, that would uh, flirt with me. That really made me feel insecure mm-hmm. uh, and awkward because, like, I knew them to be mothers of my friends mm-hmm. and wives of my respected mentors. Mm-hmm. And they were flirting with me and even pushing booby into me and, like, laughing at how shy I was. So, women do it too. We all have to be aware of it. Yeah. And I think that what we need to, I, I, what I don't want to happen, though, I don't want to live myself, myself, I don't want to live in a culture where risk is not rewarded. Yeah. Where um, 
uh, spontaneity mm. is not enjoyed. And I, so I would hate for everything to be so regulated and so uh, washed out that you couldn't kiss somebody without saying, Hi, do you mind if I kiss you now? Mm. I think there should be certain... I think we should discuss this because we need to have some clarity on yeah. when do you actually have consent. And I think you have to better read the other person and just develop a better emotional intelligence and better... I guess some people just don't have that capability, but some people also just are inexperienced as well. So yeah. they must mis sometimes they misinterpret a sign of just maybe that's the friendliness that with pure like attraction. Right? I believe that's the one that's sweeping all the universities and ruining young men's lives right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not to say that they're without any guilt, but I think that their guilt is a product of their circumstance more than their character. Mm. And I would like. I would like this to be more discussed, and I think that the young men and the young women should really discuss sexuality openly. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, sex is an open topic. It's just like breathing. We all are naturally programmed to, to, to go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and, and I, I, I think that you could still be courageous and spontaneous Mm. And respectful, and uninvasive, unintrusive, unharassing towards one another, and enjoy you know, enjoy uh, passion and romance. Um, but we we maybe need to clarify roles a little bit, a little bit uh, better, and to include mm -hmm. ga the gay and lesbian and trans community, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and and bisexual community. I mean. You know what? That's actually getting me going on something else. Uh, do you think we should keep going? We'll, we'll, um, up, we'll... Sure, up to you. Uh, um, there's a lot of scientific theory out there and evidence to indicate that humans are born bisexual mm -hmm. and conditioned to be monosexual. And... and but that would imply that also conditioned to be gay, but know that there are other things to say that bi and gay are the, are the things. Or, anyhow, but bisexual is because physical touch and erotic stimulation mm -hmm. on physical levels are equal between men and women. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what type of hand touches your your erogenous zones that simple act is enough right mm -hmm. but then there's the psychology behind it which is theorized to be purely conditional mm -hmm. and uh and so that that's interesting i've been in a, one bar where it was shocking to me at the time where men and women shared a sink so you would go into the stall, there were like two stalls, and then okay. they came out, and there was one sink. So it was kind of intimate because you just finished touching your penis and taking a piss, and you go to wash your hands, and you may have to wait for like a really sexy woman redoing her lipstick, mm -hmm. or readjusting her bra in the mirror, or things women do in the bathroom. Where was it, mirror. sorry? Where was it? it was in Barcelona, actually. Okay. It was in uh, 2002, so... That was a that was a club that had mm. this shared sink, 
in between the two bathrooms. And then I experienced that a few other times, but, um, and also nude beaches, mm -hmm. uh, being nude around the opposite sex and all that stuff. Like, there's a certain, yeah, these things are called the private parts, but I think that that's more nurture than our nature. Oh, 100%. I believe that if you eliminate the social taboo-ness of, of being naked and vulnerable and sexual mm -hmm. with each other, I believe that things regulate themselves naturally really nicely and really harmoniously. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my point with this Me Too movement and the, and the recreating of, uh, of uh, standards of, of sexual consent. Mm -hmm. I just want us to be fair about the society we're all living in, the roles we're all be teaching each other and advocating, even subconsciously. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we need to, if we want to change it, we need to change it with integrity and, and without lashing out at certain demographics just because of we shouldn't make it a debate we should make it a discussion yes it should never true. be an attack or i'm defending this side it should be more of again a discussion a playful dance between both sides and admitting fault but also admitting the realities just being realistic not going from the stance of i'm against you and you're against me we're all together in this and we need to solve this to, as a together. Yeah, yeah a and I also unit. think, and I would also, I also would like to state my opinion on uh, masculine attitudes towards women. And, and one thing is uh, that uh, mm -hmm. a lot of men think their duty is to, I'm going to put it vulgarly, and, and I hope you understand my intent poetically when I say they want to fuck a woman. Mm. Where, and they feel like that's a point of pride to them. Fucked her. I gave it to her hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been told by prostitutes that I'm the best lover they ever had. By, by like sex addict women that I'm a great lover. And that's because I never wanted to give it to anybody hard. Unless that was the moment we were into. Yeah. It was all about reading and communicating and sharing intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I think that men shy away from this task because we're so emotionally uninvolved. Mm -hmm. But if, 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 we could, if we could raise new, new masculine males to, you know, maintain their strong nature and their strong roles as ma ma with their masculinity, mm -hmm. but also teach them and educate them that intuition, intimacy, that's also involved in being human and, and, and is far more respectable than just, like... Think about it. You're just ramming your penis into a vagina. You think she appreciates you for that? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you, did you pay attention to where her erogenous zones? Did she have an orgasm? Did you pay attention to any of her needs? That hole doesn't just stimulate itself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I don't know. I always felt like these it takes guys were patience. dullards when yeah. they would say stuff like that. <laughs> 100%. But anyways, if men took that, that approach towards their own sexuality, they probably find their own sexuality much more rewarding, mm -hmm. and, they, and probably the culture would ease up on them as a demographic with, yeah. this, with the accusations of harassment and mis, misuse of power, etc. Well said. Yeah, I think we should wrap it up with that. All right. Yeah. I had a great day today.
Special thanks to Jamesy the Band, jamesytheband.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening to The Fool's Journey.